You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. All right, everybody, welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. I am just coming back from Gainesville, Florida. Just finished up with the coding fiesta over the past weekend. Uh, Again, I do want to thank the North Central Florida AAPC chapter for holding this coding fiesta event at the University of Florida. Uh, I do want to thank Najwa Liscombe. Lisa Hamilton and Elizabeth Edinger uh, for bringing me aboard, getting my hotel room, introducing me and making me welcome again in Gainesville. Uh, Just to let you guys know, today's podcast was recorded live during the Coding Fiesta. So this was my first time doing a live in the field one-on-one with a guest. And of course, today's guest is... Uh, with Leontinette J. Perry Houston. But before I get into that episode, uh, if you're listening to this episode for the first time, welcome. Uh, If you are listening to us on Apple iTunes, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review, a five-star review. Uh, So that way we can definitely get noticed. Uh, You can listen to all other platforms, Spotify, TunedIn, Stitcher, even Google Play. Uh, Also, I want to make sure that you guys know that we have partners who help support with the podcast, including the Haugen Consulting Group, RadRx, Project Resume, um, Find a Code, and so much more. You can go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners, and also you can check out medicalcodinggeek.com slash promos, or just go to our webpage, medicalcodinggeek.com. Uh, for all of those links and including the show notes from today which i'll talk about later um also i do want to point out if you go to the haugen consulting group's facebook page go to their events page they have all of their webinar events listed keep in mind if you use our promo code geek 15 geek 15 you get a nice little discount for all of their webinars and of course it also helps out uh in supporting the podcast anyway so do all of that for us and of course if you need a speaker for your event which by the way uh upcoming events uh include for november so far uh november 9th i have a webinar a webinar seminar uh, on-site seminar in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, to discuss DRGs, and then I have a virtual seminar on November 14th in Pasadena, La Porte, I believe this is in Texas, AAPC. So of course, if you need me for a speaker for your event, uh, feel free to go to medicalcodinggeek.com. You can again find this on linkedin facebook or you could find me on linkedin and reach out to me today on the podcast of course we have leon Tanette, j perry houston uh, she is 
with lifetime quality care consultants. Uh, when you listen to the episode, by the way, uh, to give you a uh, perspective, uh, I just finished up a morning session, uh, and I'll give you in in the episode you'll hear a little bit of a story of how uh, it went. Uh, but I had a 7:45 a.m. session uh, to talk about clinical documentation improvement with a beautiful venue over in the University of Florida. You'll hear it more into the episode. Uh, I then took a little break, <laughs> decompressed a little bit, and then went upstairs uh, to do this episode. I was very, um, I don't know, I was very, not, not too worried, but I just didn't know what to expect in doing a live uh, interview. I was worried more about the quality of the sound, but after editing, my gosh, it, it sounded beautiful. Uh, considering the background noise, because... Uh, when we had recorded this episode, the again the, the the coding fiesta, the seminars were going on, and this was probably uh, the second session had ended and begun with a third session. And when we finished, by the way, this is a very long form podcast. Just to give you a heads up, uh, people were leaving uh, at the end, and you'll hear people going downstairs and getting their food. So if you know the quality of the sound is great, but you'll hear some background noise. Again, I'm using again in the field live, utilizing microphones, and we're just sitting there in the in the upstairs. Uh, by the way, the Harrell Harrell Education Medical Building. Uh, that's where we were. Um, it's designed for physician residents, also nursing students uh, use it for classrooms. Anyways, so without further ado, here is my episode with the Antonet J. Perry Houston. Enjoy. Hello. It's I'm so glad. weird. You, you keep saying relax. It I need to relax. Like I think the... I'm telling you to relax so I can relax. <laughs> okay. <You know? laughs> relax, Brian. Because Take a you're deep because you're my first in-person guest. It's so weird. Anyways. Well, it's definitely a pleasure to meet you in person. Finally. I know. It's weird when you interview um, people in person because now I have to look at the person. Right. You got to look at me. <laughs> <laughs> or we can enjoy the beautiful scenery here in Gainesville, yeah. Florida, at the University of Florida. There here you go. Shands. I I I was talking downstairs earlier. Man, we even started the podcast, but I don't care. Uh, um, I was just downstairs, and if you guys are here in the University of Florida, what's the name of the building? Harrell Education the Harrell Building. Medical Education Building. Yeah, and, beautiful uh, If you are a speaker and you go to room one twenty five. Uh, I will post a picture of it. What a room. The, it's a 360. Yes. 360 screens. I think it's about six screens. Six six screens. Uh, the presentation um, whatever booth is in the middle of the of the session. So you're in the middle of a 360 degree crowd with 360 degree screens. Oh, man. That was Very dynamic. You managed and handled. You worked the room very well. Yeah. You really did. Now, I, I told the story that before I even started, I had to wake up early. <laughs> two, <laughs> so I got in my hotel, and then 2.30 in the morning, somebody, uh, the alarm went off. It was so loud. And Don't uh, you just love when that happens? 
I don't. <laughs> it was the first <laughs> I've been in hotels, and I don't know that the the feeling that feeling of waking up abruptly totally reminded when my kids were babies. Oh <laughs> like, you my know? goodness! Like a ah! little pattern, like, the yeah, like, pattern of little feet running. Like, that's the I'm like oh my gosh do, do I have like to there's feed? a stampede do I have to feed somebody do I have to change the <laughs> you know it's a bit of PTSD from babies like oh I gotta, I gotta change some diaper no it's not and I'm like oh where are we um, so the story the, what had happened is that there are I think Cheesecake Factory in Gainesville apparently they don't this is their first Cheesecake Factory oh wow I know there's a Cheesecake Factory in the where ah oh gosh where the, uh, the the Braves play Around that area, I forgot. Um, the Sunset Life Stadium. I'm not familiar with no, the area, so I'm just it's a bit. It's a bit northwest. Go uh, based on your description. Yeah. So there's one there. I'm like, well, the, how is it that they have it up in Atlanta, but not in Gainesville? So apparently they have that. It's been open a month. Oh wow. And uh, <laughs> we tried to go there yesterday, and the lines are long. Anyways, um, the these are chefs, so they bring in chefs from around other places that work that cheesecake they put them in a hotel they oh, finish wow. their shift chefs so what happens when you talk about chefs they have all the oil and the grease on their aprons oh, and they were cleaning goodness. them uh all six of them so i think they overloaded it or the they were some of the ladies that were downstairs in the lobby this morning they were talking about how um it's either the uh what do you call that the the material right but i think it's the grease that when you when you washed it, it wasn't completely washed, or they put oh. it in cold, they didn't put it in warm, something like that, and it caught. I don't know. It's just it was ridiculous. Anyways, so that was that's the story for uh, leading up to today, and we could probably be put together a book on some exciting stories from our travels. Yes, I think that's that's true. Working in CDI, HIM, another, sounds like another podcast. Consulting, definitely <laughs> another podcast. The Would tra- be very entertaining. The, tra- the traveling uh, chronicles. Speaker Chronicles. That's cool. All right. So let's, you want to start this podcast? Sure. Let's get started. (laughs) I'm excited. All right. So welcome everybody to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. I have here with me who came here specifically, not just for, uh, we're actually here live in the Coding Fiesta, uh, which is brought to you by the North Central Florida AAPC. Uh, they do it every year. It's a big event of the Southeast region. People come from every which way, from Georgia. I've heard from Alabama, uh, from South Florida. There are people actually from Southwest Florida that I've seen here, uh, and me from Central Florida. Uh, we all come here. And you came here, aside from this one, to to do an interview. We set this up back in July. Remember that? Right. In the summer, it was about 115 degrees in Atlanta when we first started talking. <laughs> now we're here in fall. And so, by the way, we have here with us Leon Tanette. That's how I say it, right? Leon Tanette Perry Houston. Uh, she came here today just to do a live podcast. Oh, my gosh. That's so wonderful. Thank you for being here. It's an honor to meet you, Brian. Finally in person. Yeah. Um, so let's get in it. Uh, we have a lot to cover, uh, and again, totally long form. You could do whatever you want. I'm just sitting here. Again, I just finished the what an hour and forty five minute presentation. Awesome presentation. Uh, and you came to me like I'm ready to go. Like, dude, I gotta. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you were so dynamic. There's a room of about maybe it looks like about three hundred, five hundred yeah, people. That's just a lot. I don't know if it's five hundred. They said maybe. I I like to say at least two hundred. 200 um and it and again the 360 crowd yeah, makes it great that room is amazing uh, i don't like 
standing behind a podium. I don't. I actually don't like walking linear. So everything that you saw was either in the U-shaped form, and I could have walked all the way out to the edges. But again, the chairs were in my way. I didn't want to step on on tables and stuff like that. I was that. waiting for perfect opportunities to take live action photos yeah. of you demonstrating. You should have called me over and make me do a yeah. pose. I I didn't I didn't mind. Whatever. I saw the picture that you did on on your uh, Instagram page. Uh, so and we're at. Lifetime underscore quality on Instagram. We'll definitely get that in there in the show notes. All everything uh, Leontanet will be there too. All right, so let's go ahead and um, we talked about how we connected. Really is you connected with me on LinkedIn and then I think it led to a discussion to this podcast and and um, you were so open. You're like, yes, I want to do a, a live. I will be there. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, wow, okay. Absolutely. This yeah. is an exciting time in healthcare in general, definitely in CDI and HIM. And I've been working to network and connect with as many um, executives, professionals, um, stars like yourself and Glenn Cross, um, waiting to get a chance to connect with the Imagine guy, um, Brad. Yes. I definitely want to meet Brad in person. So I'm making my You've never met him in person? I've never met him in person. So Brad, if you're listening to this, uh, you got to meet uh, Leontanet and uh, the picture is worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you see the picture? I saw the picture of the two of you. So everybody, you pick, awesome. everybody uh, talks about that. And I never, again, Brad, uh, again, we, we have to meet up. He's only an hour away from me. So oh, really? uh, we'll definitely meet up. He, again, uh, like a social media guy. And I walked up to him and he's so huge. And I mentioned this in the previous podcast. So when you see him, you'll, you'll understand. I have a picture of him on my phone. So I'm, I have a few people that I'm actually looking for. Okay to connect with and meet in person so your goal right now is uh we haven't even talked about anything yet but you're currently just just totally networking which i i love so uh we'll get into that but before we do that i want we, i always start off with uh let's let's get to know you better sure so you can start off whichever you know time you want to start from the beginning oh, uh from infancy. yeah no, no well, maybe <laughs> i not, won't go back that maybe far. not that far uh, you <laughs> kind of dating be, myself here. Yeah, so you can go whichever way you want. So the question I always ask is, where did you come from and how did you get to where you're at today? Where did I come from? I am originally from Gary, Indiana, the hometown of Michael Jackson. Yay, Michael Jackson. Um, I'm the eldest of six children um, born to uh, my mom, Leslie uh, Robinson, and my dad, Willie Terry Sr. Um, but... Um, basically, Gary, Indiana was a steel city back in the early um, 70s. Um, I was born late 60s, and I attended elementary school, middle school there, and my mom um, moved us to Atlanta to attend and complete her degree at Spelman College in Atlanta, um, where I attended high school, Walter George High School, which is now South Atlanta High School, um, Go Falcons, class of 88. And from graduating um, high school in Atlanta, I went on to my first year of college at West Georgia College in Carrollton, Georgia. Um, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, so I basically had to work full-time, attend school full-time when I could, attend school full-time, work part-time, and work my way through. Ultimately, I, um, like most, um, you know, probably got a little bit off course the first couple of years and decided that I needed to focus and hunker down and finally complete nursing school with less distraction um, from a major city and went back to Indiana where um, if you can survive the cold in the winters there near Chicago, um, you can pretty much make it anywhere. But I went back home 
um, to finish nursing school at Indiana University Northwest. Um, go Hoosiers. Um, and graduated with my Bachelor of Science degree in nursing. And while in nursing school, um, worked as a nurse tech at a local community hospital in the critical care unit ICU with a group of wonderful nurses at Community Monster um, Hospital there in Monster, Indiana, who had been working critical care for a number of years. And I consider those nurses generals um, in nursing to where they'd spent so much time in ICU um, as a new graduate out of nursing school, we could walk into a patient's room and my preceptor would immediately know that the patient was in in distress. Um, I wanted to learn those meticulous assessment skills from nurses that had been in ICU for a number of years at a time where we floated swan gans catheters um, and spent time at the bedside at the elbow with physicians engaged in a number of bedside procedures with triple lumens, with insertion of dialysis catheters, with um, temporary pacemaker procedures, where um, garnering those assessment skills and the opportunity to work with the various gadgets that are specific to the critical care environment um, ultimately packaged me to become the nurse that I am today, I'm able to pull in those skills acquired at the bedside, hands-on, the knowledge of going through nursing school at such a great um, university such as IU, and really connecting with my patients and their families. Um, All of that has carried over into um, where I am today with respect to clinical documentation improvement. I was writing notes. Uh, Wow. So your foundation, of course, is in nursing. Absolutely. Okay. And you're talking about physician engagement. I think the 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 I mean, my family is all nurses, so I know back in the day and you mentioned that you're side by side in the bedside and 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 your elbows with the families. I think what do you think is the current state of nursing today in regards to interact, you know, patient uh clinician uh, interaction to me, I guess when you look at applying technology into the mix, it seems like it's beginning to somewhat separate. Absolutely, it is, and um, that's great that you mentioned um, the effect that technology has had on the healthcare environment. Um, it is therapeutic to a certain extent still today. However, I have noticed over the years the. Um, gap that is widening and expanding um, largely between nurses, um, physicians, and their patients due to technology. And it's kind of turned the care environment into somewhat of an an aesthetic, um, kind of cold, non-nurturing type environment, which is very much needed um, to facilitate the process of healing and to also facilitate the process of critical thinking and collaboration and teamwork. Um, Because in my philosophy of nursing and healthcare in general, I believe in the entire um, team with respect to the nurse, the physician, the family, the patient, um, every ancillary area that's involved with that patient's care being one and connecting with the patient in such a way that we all realize that the patient is the core center and reason why we're all in the positions that we're in, that we're there to provide 
um, the highest level of quality care um, with that patient at the core of everything that we do. I like that. I think that's, I think some of the stuff you had mentioned is where, I don't know, like healthcare is becoming more like a vending machine. It yeah. is. It's become more like a drive through almost. And yeah. a large part of that is due to, I, w- I will say, the health insurance industry mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Um, because in the regulatory um, compliance issues sometimes place a huge amount of burden and stress and duress on our physician population. Um, they have more to provide in terms of documentation and spending time with learning um, technology and workflow processes with respect to how to facilitate capturing their documentation in the record that sometimes it's so um, inundated, they're inundated with the burden of spending more time with administrative duties as opposed to what they actually went into the practice of medicine for. But there is within that um, that situation, that circumstance involving what's taking place with health insurance companies and regulatory compliance with the government um, and all the other payers, there's an opportunity for nurses, for respiratory therapists, for um, nutrition therapists, for physical therapists, for all the other ancillary areas to connect back with the physician, um, to engage and embrace them and bring us all back to the place of humanistic care giving um, to where we recall times that we connected as human beings and we facilitated a process of dignity and caregiving for our patient. Um, the technology is a tool. It's not what should drive us. It's just not what should dictate to us how we carry out our day-to-day operations. Um, it's just a tool. Um, we have artificial intelligence now even and we cannot allow artificial intelligence to um, indoctrinate, indoctrinate our intelligence. We're still the driver. We're still human beings. We still have the most sophisticated um, hardware ever created, and that is the human brain. So technology will never replace that. And more than that, we have the ability to demonstrate empathy and compassion um, to one another as well as carry that over to our patients and the families that we come in contact with. At the same time, capturing quality data um, that reflects the severity of illness, the risk of mortality, and the consumption of resources, and provide us all with the credit that we should want reflected in the record in the care that we give to populations, communities, um, humans, individuals, um, throughout the entire nation, uh, I I like how you mentioned the the technology in terms of using it as a tool. And one thing that I had mentioned with Brian Murphy, I guess when we brought it up in terms of what the state of CDI is, is the is the the rise of technology, and we we related to the the Terminator movies, and it really it's a it's a matter of and back then. Back then, it was my statement was, okay, if technology is there, it's a matter of who's controlling who. Are you controlling the technology or is technology controlling you? Now, you bring up artificial intelligence. So I don't want to get political, but there is a, there is a candidate, Andrew Yang, okay, um, 
in terms of not, I'm not talking about anything politics, but the 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 problem that he brings up is technology is taking over jobs, and so he's meant he mentioned artificial intelligence. Uh, and it's happening, you know, he's talking, I think he mentioned things about Indiana, the truckers and all of that stuff. So it's happening, but it's not happening now, but it'll happen later. So in my previous episode, which kind of sparked me to discuss it even more was, uh, was Joanne Toss with, where she, as a medical transcriptionist, right? She, um, transition had a transition to coding because basically she saw the writing on the wall right. she saw the artificial uh, intelligence the technology taking over her role uh, in reality well the the idea that she was saying okay well there was the premise that okay well if if my job is being taken over due to you know transcription software then that will elevate me as an editor and in reality her experience is that the pay is actually low uh, and it's not even worth it to to become an ele- <laughs> in this case the scenario is an elevated um, position exactly so she took over as she decided to take things into her own hands and learn coding but now we're in a state now that okay well artificial intelligence technology taking over medical transcription and in my group medical coding geeks and even anywhere on social media there's always the um the concern of especially when you're talking about computerized assisted coding uh, artificial intelligence and my stance used to be like "Ah, don't worry about it because uh you know it it requires more of a human touch i don't think it'll take over but you know when you have such companies such as IBM Watson who <laughs> you know they won Jeopardy for for goodness sake competed in Jeopardy and now you see more IBM Watson getting into healthcare that to me concerns me a little bit uh a little bit now cuz in terms of cuz Andrew Yang I mean I don't I don't know if he's going to be president or not but he brings up a a valid point that is of concern is that okay it's not going to happen now but it's going to happen later and as I mentioned downstairs in, in the presentation, as CDI, we need to have foresight. Right. So even in our positions now in terms of coding, we need to have foresight in the future because evidently, even if it's with maybe like if it's within your time, you know, hof- I'm not dating you, but, <laughs> but, but like, okay, even if you retire, right, right, and we're still not in the AI age, okay, there's still the issue and the problem that you still have to in for future professionals you know we're talking to students now in this podcast is okay what are they going to expect when exactly. they go to school when if they're if the the future gets into school what are they going to expect and i think andrew yang did a wonderful job just not not really you know rattling me but okay catching my intention right and 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 again developing that foresight and kind of say okay well if this happens and that's actually a great word, foresight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you mentioned foresight because as a nurse, I truly believe in being proactive. And I look at proactive and foresight um, almost synonymously, although I know contextually they're two different terms. Um, but it's important in what we do today to have foresight, to be proactive. And to have foresight and be proactive with respect to professional development of human beings. Um, 
And I'm being very, very succinct in making that statement because we have to focus on keeping human beings ahead of technology um, or at least to have them aligned such that one does not supersede the other um, that we start to place and because we've already started to do that anyway is to place technology ahead of um, the functional capability of human beings being proactive and having foresight in what the person in front of us is capable of actually being able to do ahead and aside from technology we can take any metric any measure in healthcare, in CDI, in nursing, and make it what we want it to be, um, from sales, from marketing, from advertising. However, when you look at individuals, and I love what you stated um, in the session that you were speaking in with respect to the art of composing CDI queries and how many organizations have kind of lent themselves to the use of templates as opposed to instructing and teaching individuals how to compose the art of writing specific to your audience is so critical but that's not a skill that you can actually teach a computer you can't teach a computer to pay attention to the nuances of a patient um, who hemodynamically is demonstrating certain parameters ahead of what the human I can even see to a certain extent because if you have a skilled trained nurse who's had that hands-on experience at the bedside as they're reviewing the patient's vitals as they're reviewing the medications that the patient has been prescribed by the physician the entire treatment plan as they're looking into the results of their the diagnostic studies that have been ordered um, looking at the microbes that have grown from cultures they're looking at the entire picture they're going to think far ahead of what the computer, whether it's CAC, NLP technology, artificial intelligence, or anything else might be able to even imagine. Um, one thing oftentimes I allude to in speaking with other CDI specialists, um, whether that's in the role of interim systems director, um, which I've served for Theta Care and for UCLA out in Los Angeles with Joe Lipkin, um, I share with them when they have the 3M encoder in place that there's a DRG analyzer button. Sometimes I'm accused of being too technology laden, which is the farthest thing from the truth because all of the algorithms and everything built into the proprietary knowledge of the 3M technology actually originated from human beings. And that from the basic training encoding of indexing and looking up specific terms and keywords to lead them to a path of the exact code to code a record with manually before we had all of this technology. But getting back to the 3M DRG analyzer, if you have that capability to um, utilize that particular button, it gives you, it consolidates and collapses all the diagnoses that have been entered into the encoder and it gives you possible other secondaries that could be picked up to capture or impact return on risk of risk of mortality and severity of illness I'm thinking of return on investment um, but my point being that the return on investment that we're going to see going into the future is coming back to human capital 
is coming back to professional development. The focus is going to be less on technology, although we're going to utilize technology. We're going to gain an understanding of utilizing technology for its intended purposes, which is as a tool. Um, the money that we're spending in healthcare is highly, most more than anything, due to the technological advances that we've made in our country. But that's escalating our costs with respect to GDP in healthcare. As the United States spending more in terms of healthcare than any other industrialized nation. But when we look at places like Australia, we look at places like New Zealand. They've been able to, um, for better or for worse, because I'm sure they they have their pros and cons, but they've been able to figure out how to provide universal health care to it to their citizens citizenry, if I can make, get that word out. Um, but and we have to figure that out in our country here, and come to the table and have a meeting of the minds where um, one group is not dominating another group. We have these social um, tier levels and statuses within our our country, our culture. Likewise, I really would prefer not to get political in any respect, but it um, it it begins to affect you, especially when you're a nurse, to see the number of Americans that we now have without insurance. Um, and I'll even bring this more personal home. I sit here with you now as someone who started off with um, a company with full-time benefits at 40 hours a week. I'm currently still connected to that company at 20 hours a week, but without full-time benefits. And when you have licensed healthcare professionals who have gone to school, who have um, walked concrete blocks in cold weather, negative 45 degree temps to be exact in times, um, to study day and night, um, burning the candle and the midnight oil to become registered nurses in our country, one million strong plus, um, we should not have anyone here that's not able to um, receive the highest level quality care possible, all due to our advances in technology driving cost um, to where it is today. Um, so we have to come back and use our human intellect and connect that to our compassion and to our empathy and come up with solutions that have built into them foresight and proactivity that can foresee into the future and create a better landscape for the generations to come. And we're sitting here on a university campus. Um, I was, as I drove in, I took note of um, the young people that are out running early in the morning um, jogging and knowing that Shands itself is a university teaching institution. Um, what are we giving our uh, future doctors and our future nurses and our other future healthcare professionals? What are we giving them to look forward to if all they have to look forward to is carpal tunnel from the number of clicks um, to complete a workflow process? Um, we have to um, pay attention to the data. We have to pay attention to the patient. Um, we have to utilize technology, but we cannot allow technology to um, outpace us. Um, we have to still remain a part of the future 
and not eliminate people in critical roles where they're needed because these computers sometimes shut down. They sometimes need to go through an upgrade and an update. They may have a small glitch that can set off the entire system. And seeing that we have foreign countries that have interfered with our political process in our country, um, cyber hacking has become a profession of sorts. And there are new creative, innovative minds that think of new ways to infiltrate systems every day. Um, The number of fines that have been issued due to violations of HIPAA and PHI um, because of breaks into technology. Um, I've been shut down for days um, because organizations have put aside having a manual process in place because of the um, overuse of and and taking over technology in our culture and in our society. So we have to get back to having um, downtime workflow processes that are manual. And we may actually meet people that we've overlooked because we were so concerned about learning the technology way um, that we may be able to reconnect with people that we've kind of not seen for a while. It's amazing sometimes if you ever have maybe never tried it before to place your cell phones in the middle of the table um, and connect with the people around you. It's kind of the same thing with respect to the healthcare environment. Um, We have to um, connect with our docs, see how they're doing, how their day is going, how's their family, what hobbies and interests that they have, and connect with everyone on a humanistic level. So I like, you were going all over, (laughs) all over the place. One one thing that, um, what was I going to go for? Okay, so the question, not a question, but a statement, Uh, technology. I think we're always on this tough discussion but i think what happened with technology is we were just handed it we don't know anything about it but we're happy to use it right because we think there's a premise that okay it's going to make our jobs better it's going to make our managers happy but i think the lack of education in the technology is what was missing exactly right so we're not um I don't well what, education is one thing but I think again just being aware of what you're what the the, the technology that are using especially when you look at apps now you know there's um I was listening to some podcasts and apparently there are some I forgot which it was a is a company that utilizes celebrities and I know P Diddy is one of them there's a there's a gamer called Ninja who who does it uh, it was on the mask, the mask singer on Fox. Anyways, uh, what they're doing now is they're sharing a phone number, right? So the marketing used to be on phones, right? right? Now you have those robocalls, but now you have robotext, right? So right. now they're capitalizing on that. And without any education, they're just, you know, people like P. Diddy and again, Ninja, they're on their Instagram. They're promoting like, hey, I normally don't do this, and they're trying to get you into a ploy. We normally don't do this, but here's my phone number. You could text me anytime. And what happens is that when you you text that number, basically you're just uh, caught in a loop of some type of email or really a text listserv, and you're given a, a, a link. He says, well, fill out the link so that way I can get a hold of you. I say, that's such crock. And and so you, you fill it out, 
you get suckered into this email listserv, actually more of a text listserv. But the thing is that my point is moving in, you were never educated on this process. And a lot of people, we we fall in love with the technology before we even use it. And, And you mentioned before, and you've always touched on this, is the fact that, you know, sometimes we lose touch from our humanity and we just like, oh, look, we got problems and we got to fix it right away. And here's something that can fix that we think can fix. It. And I'm guilty of like downloading, you know, stuff that I think is pretty cool. And then exactly. in the end, I'm like, ah, I don't like it. But uh, when you're more on a, a bigger scale, right. like a hospital side scale, like we were just talking about, I'm not going to say the name of the of the software. Downstairs, we were talking about, uh, I was talking in, uh, with an individual that the they code from problem lists and the physicians are utilizing those templates where basically they just type a part of the word and autofills. Exactly. And uh, it's unspecified. And unfortunately they have to code it through. But again, that's a technology issue. But again, what I told her was the mistakes were made up front. And the thing is that you don't know, but the problem is the education was not there and which led to you not knowing and thus creating the future mistakes which are now difficult to fix. Right. So if you have the specific system, you know what I'm talking about for people <laughs> that are out there. <laughs> I'm not going to name it because I definitely want to visit the headquarters one day right. uh, and meet the, meet the head of the person. Anyways, this is the problem now is that they, they I guess in any software is where you or any program, you you make mistakes in the beginning and they're difficult to solve. So, and I think it's because of the lack of education. Right. And it provides an opportunity even now to develop war rooms. I remember working for 3M um, Health Information Software Systems um, when 3M 360 was coming about in its first release. And um, we were pulled off of our engagements um, to a hotel. Um, I forget now exactly what city we were all brought into but we had to be grounded um, because there were things that were just not working well at all our clients interfacing with them they weren't pleased at all with what was going on and immediately um, one of the higher um, level executives um, developed a war room of sorts to work and resolve all problems that were taking place with even earlier versions of the precursor to 3M 360 which was CETUS and even now today, um, I mentioned that because we have an opportunity now to develop war rooms of sort to figure out exactly how we can um, bring the humanistic approach back to healthcare to where technology isn't superseding human, actual human beings. And I don't want to sound like I'm just bashing technology, the use of technology. I'm kind of a tech geek myself. I love technology at the end of the day. However, I have to put it aside to remember as a person to connect with the other individuals that are in my life um, personally as well as professionally um, to continue to create um, opportunities for enhanced relationship building um, across the remainder of my lifetime. Um, And with that, I enjoy technology. Um, I, I love technology. I can pick up on any technological device, app, software system, process, Um, proficiently however I challenge everyone to look at your budgets um, and see how much you're spending on the professional development side training and educating individuals um, not just for them to figure out how to click a button 
necessarily or how to um, work through a workflow process with the use of technology, but assess how much they're processing intellectually and what foresight and proactivity they can garner from the use of that technology. And within that right there, you're actually um, engaging ingenuity and innovation. But with the individuals, um, the humans that you invest in, bringing them in as part of your team, um, because they will be the drivers of the success of whatever um, goal, objective you set before them to achieve. They won't be individuals who will allow salespeople that are pushing technology um, that they've come out with into your organization and shifting the dynamic of the culture of your organization and your goal and mission for which your organization serves for the population and community that you treat the patients that you admit and care for. Um, I've seen that quite a bit in some of my experiences as an independent contractor in interim assignments as I traveled across the country. Um, recently, I was within an organization to um, serve as an interim director, and they had a manager who was the manager of case management and the social workers as well as CDI. And she reported to the quality, the the vice president of quality and it was actually a role that my mentor had always prayed that I would actually have the experience um, and encounter um, my mentor being um, Kathy Luther who um, passed away about a year or two ago um, was an RHIT um, by background who trained me initially in CDI when I first started in CDI in 2004 at Gwinnett Medical Center at Lawrenceville in Lawrenceville Georgia um, which has three different campuses. But my story with respect to um, Kathy and connecting that to the experience um, with this particular organization is that she wanted me to have the experience of working as a director, reporting to the VP of quality. And the manager that I encountered there, um, there was an, a company that had installed their software to their CDI software to um, which I have my own individual opinion of that particular tool, um, but they'd experienced me at another facility that I was assigned to go in and reinvigorate a program. Same, same company, same software system. Um, it was a sub, a sub, um, substandard software tool um, that didn't provide much in terms of return on investment for the CDI program. It wasn't user friendly. In any respect, the reporting coming out of it was as um, ineffective as the information that was being put in it. Because, um, you know, good quality data going in, you generally get good quality reports from your data. But that also goes back to the people that you hire. Um, if they possess the competencies necessary to um be proactive in their thinking, have that foresight, have the ability to, to analyze and think ahead of and outside of the technology. Um, but this person basically took the advisement of this company and hadn't educated her staff in five years. Um, her staff was lagging and behind in terms of their knowledge with respect to um, 
guidelines and recommendations from AHIMA and act as with respect to um, just the constructs of a basic C- compliance CDI program. And so we had to start all over from the from the beginning and break down the entire staff and take them through a series of competency skills, inventory and assessment questionnaires to see if they were even the right people in the position. And if you have individuals that are lacking in terms of passion for CDI, um, along with having the basic skills and knowledge necessary to um, function and not just function in the role, but to thrive in the role and to have the passion that they bring to the position um, spread throughout your entire organization, then those aren't the people that should be in CDI. If they're not innovative in thinking ahead of what's become static, they have to be dynamic um, because CDI is a change agent program. Um, The information, once we get down to the specificity that's necessary in our documentation, um, irregardless to exactly what it is, we can catapult our research in medicine, in nursing, in other disciplines forward so that we can come out with new treatment modalities, but not only new treatment modalities for these various um, conditions and disease states that are out here, but we can also... Um, improve the life, the quality of individuals' life for a lifetime. Okay. So, I was uh, as you were talking. I mean, I, I love the way you flow. It's like is you have so much to say, and it's just all just coming out. And I, I love, and it always comes back to the human touch. Definitely, which probably will be the the title of it. <laughs> um, my question is, I, I'm looking through your LinkedIn profile. Please check her out. I'm, again, I'll put her her LinkedIn profile. Uh, in the show notes, but you have a really extensive uh, experience background. But what I like to do is scroll down and sometimes see, okay, you were a nurse, but then somehow, I guess the real real question that I want to ask is, how did you find yourself getting into clinical documentation improvement? Because it seems like once you got into Mm -hmm. it, it snowballed. Like into and for you to understand like what happened to me and I, I think when you when you fully appreciate what CDI is all about, you get a all of a sudden a broader spectrum of what healthcare is about through CDI. So, how did you again? You started out as a nurse. You have a few nursing roles in your background, right. and then all of a sudden it's slowly, but all of a sudden once you got that CD first CDI role and you've done a few, it just like snowballed into bigger roles. So how how did you transition from a nurse to a CDI? I transitioned from a nurse to a CDI specialist um, through my experience working with Aetna Insurance Company. Um, Aetna was my first health insurance um, position as a utilization review nurse. And ultimately, that grew into not only telephonic in-office utilization review, um, using Milliman guidelines to determine medical necessity for um, insured members um, that actually were subscribers to Aetna Insurance and various plans, HMO, POS, PPO, across the board. And what I found out, I was not only telephonic, but ultimately I became an on-site utilization review nurse for Aetna, working at one of the um, participating providers um, within Aetna at one of the hospital sites, well, various hospital sites within the metro Atlanta area. Um, So my day started generally working 
um, from home, making sure that I had my member list of patients that were inpatient at the hospitals that I was assigned to. And I would, you know, actually drive, commute into those hospitals and review the records, um, locate the patients, and talk with the doctors on the nursing units to um, mitigate the number of denials that were being issued on a day-to-day basis. And um, Aetna consulted with Deloitte & Touche after maybe about two years or so of working for them, and they wanted to revamp the entire way they were conducting business. Um, They were conducting 100% utilization review, so we were scrutinizing every piece of clinical data coming in to us. Um, Just everything was, from my perspective, at least being denied. Um, Denials for nurses working within the insurance industry um, generally turns into more work (laughs) um, as opposed to providing a certification number. Uh, We end up having to generate a number of denial letters based on regulatory compliance um, rules and laws that are in place. Um, Letters have to be issued to the hospital, to the physicians involved, and your medical director is the one that looks and reviews the clinical information and says yay or nay. Mm -hmm. And that denial is called out to the participating providers and providing the opportunity for the physician caring for the patient to speak with the medical director and have that decision overturned. So we would basically engage in all this work on the front end for these denials to have the doctors have a conversation one-on-one about a golf course maybe or their children in private school somewhere maybe or a vacation that they went on and have the decision overturned after we you know basically composed and compiled all those denial letters so long story short um and not so much short um Deloitte and Touche basically streamlined business to where We changed our software system that we were interfacing with. We entered in ICD-9 and CPT codes. It let us know whether the case was targeted versus non-targeted. Aetna maybe had about maybe five case managers that went from five to 50 in less than a month. The ones that were coming up as targeted were referred over to case management. That case manager connected on a cold call to the patient, to the member, the insured member, while they were still inpatient to set up a date and time appointment while they worked on discharge planning. And post-discharge calls were made by the case manager with ongoing scheduled calls with the insured member to educate that member about their disease process with the goal of reducing the number of recurrent ER visits and recurrent inpatient admissions. So with that, I thought, you know, since Edna decided to hire Deloitte and Touche and go through this entire process of changing the way they were conducting business, why is it that we aren't receiving the clinical information from the acute care organizations that we need to approve bed days? First, I found out the insurance company was using Milliman and Robertson guidelines. The hospital was using Interqual. So there was one disconnect. The second disconnect was coming inside the hospital as a CDI specialist for the first time, finding out that case managers working within the hospital, because they were clinical, the registered nurse case managers were basically looking at a lab value and communicating verbally to the nurse or recipient of the health information on the insurance side that this patient has hyponatremia if it was a low sodium. But the diagnosis wasn't actually written in the chart. And examples like that continued on and on and on once I took on my first CDI role. And so when I realized that, and this was before EHRs, this was hard copy records in paper, 
where my first role as a CDI specialist, we were known as the purple paper people. Try saying that three or four times real fast. And the physicians, we placed our purple query forms in the progress note section for the physicians and they would see them because they were so loud and obnoxious in purple color before they even arrived to the door where their patients were located with the charts stored inside this wall um, corridor. And they were calling us on our cell phones that we were given infuriated. What what are these purple pieces of paper that are sticking out of our charts for? What do you want? What are you asking for? I don't understand your question. Um, and that would that presented an opportunity to educate and introduce ourselves to the physician and build those relationships with them. So that's how I initially came into CDI. But even in that first role, what I did not realize is that the CMO of the hospital that I was working for at the time um, came from another organization that had just been hit hard by CMS um, and the OIG um, for a lot of issues. And his focus was on health grades and getting the organization notoriety Um, with health grades manipulating coded data and ultimately our goal came towards focusing on making sure we establish integrity in the documentation in the record as part of our query process but mostly focusing on building physician relationships and educating the physician staff and the data that we it was myself and another colleague we covered three campuses we had 24 7 access um, seven days a week to the hospital. So our hours scheduled were very flexible. Um, and we were committed to not only improve the quality and integrity of the documentation for the organization, um, as well as the quality outcome measures that were being reported out. But this particular hospital had a certificate of need to provide um, open heart surgeries and other cardiovascular and cardiothoracic services to Gwinnett County, which is the second largest county in the metropolitan Atlanta area. Um, which the way that affects that particular population, um, if anyone's ever driven in Atlanta um, from that particular county into the downtown area is about a good hour and a half, almost two hour commute now, given there are no accidents that day. Um, but for that population of patients out in that area that required those services, they would have to travel into um, hospitals like Emory, St. Joseph's Hospital, Piedmont Hospital that provide those services an hour and a half to two hours away. So opening up the channels for this particular hospital to meet that certificate of need um, required and involved um, improving the integrity of the documentation and the quality of care within the organization across the board, meeting with every department, um, sometimes you know having various egregious things said to you as a CDI specialist that you may not like to hear um, because you were challenging a system. Um, And when you're changing anything that people have become accustomed to doing things, this is the way we've always done it. Um, You have to move that boulder, um, that boulder mentality that says, I will not change in order to bring to light the quality of care and service that communities need and are deserving of. And so in summary, in three years, we returned about 3.5 million to the revenue cycle. Um, We had an entire administrative overhaul for every C-suite level position with new um, executive leadership come in and 
in the process of this program, I mentioned there were three campuses. The third campus was built and opened up um, as a result of the revenue that came from CDI, this particular program. And now that entire county has access to open heart surgeries, other cardiovascular, cardiothoracic services without the long drive into the downtown area. A new physician office suite was created and built. And of late, this particular healthcare organization was so strong and demonstrated sustainability with respect to its revenue and operations that it merged with one of the largest um, baby producing hospitals, Northside Hospital in Atlanta. Northside does more than um, complex high risk deliveries of babies. Um, They do other um, cancer care and treatment as well. Um, they provide superior service. Their quality assurance process is not like none I've ever seen. I've had surgery there before. In they in their OR, they have an, a backup OR to the OR wow. of of CQI QA people in place, and that's another aspect of the industry that you know I wish I could see revolutionized and come back to the forefront. Is the CQI process that's ever churning and ever turning in healthcare to where we do things to the effect of doing it right the first time so that we're not doing so much cleanup work on the back end with respect to these astronomical denials that we're seeing have a crippling effect on hospital closures, layoffs in healthcare that I've never seen at record numbers. This year alone, there's been over 22 hospital closures across the country with no end in sight with respect to this particular trend. And CDI is in the very cusp of what's actually taking place right now with the ability, the capability, the intestinal fortitude to turn the entire industry around. But it's going to come from connecting back to the human beings that we treat and care for, as well as the providers of care that are also human beings that are experiencing burnout at rapid pace from the burden of technology and regulations that are also being forced upon them, for lack of a better way of stating it. So um, respect and dignity with regards to health care is really what's missing because we have this cold approach to robotic technology um, advancement that's in front of us now and I'm grateful for CAC. I'm grateful for NLP. Um, but CAC NLP has nothing on on my brain at all. And and I, I like how I could see how you how you you have like I don't know, like your your blocks of thought just keep on coming, goes and finds another block and just keeps on <laughs> I love the way you it's and so it all eloquent. comes back to respect you, and dignity for the exactly. human Exactly. Oh, you always tie it back to the human touch. So Interesting. So you, and if you guys are listening to the background again, this is live. <laughs> so you hear people, you hear some clanging in the background. People are, I think they're preparing for lunch. Um, so nursing, utilization review, case management, CDI, right? And you've done a bunch of interim roles. You've done some consulting for other consulting firms, right? Absolutely. And now you've transitioned to go on your own. What made you 
what why did I guess what made you make the decision to transition to become an independent company with uh, lifetime quality care? Um, what drove the decision to establish lifetime quality care consultants in 2012 um, was the premonition that the industry was changing. Mm-hmm. Um, that premonition. You saw a problem. I saw a problem. Mm-hmm. And not only a problem, but I saw several solutions that were being offered Good. that weren't actually the solution. Nice. Um, there are still solutions that are being garnered as solutions, packaged as solu- solutions, marketed and, and advertised as solutions that are still not the solution. Um, and so Lifetime Quality Care Consultants was derived from the idea of an integrative approach to bringing in the patient as we call patients on the inpatient side and even the outpatient side, um, those sectors, and remembering that these are consumers. These are consumers of healthcare goods and services. We're consumers of healthcare goods and services, you and I. And everyone out there in our listening audience are consumers of healthcare goods and services. And we spend an astronomical amount with respect to the care and treatment that we receive for lackluster quality outcomes that have not improved to the extent that now we're really focused on risk of mortality. We're actually calculating visit, visit data now is, is being utilized and we're actually incorporating percentages with respect to risk of mortality in our CDI notes as CDI specialists. And I have an opinion about that, which I think is absolutely absurd Um, that we're focused in that direction when we've completely missed the opportunity to educate generations with respect to health care and well-being and how to actually thrive. So Lifetime Quality Care Consultants is a B2B and B2C consulting firm. What does that mean? That means that we're business to consumer and we're business to business, that there's a consumer base out there through employer groups, through individuals, um, communities, populations, churches, um, networks of individuals that that want to know they're thirsty, they're hungry for knowledge as to how do I change my behavior so that I can improve the quality of my life for my lifetime and also pass on these behavioral changes to generations to come. I grew up where I was taught as a child that you should clean your entire plate without thought to portion size, without thought to um, vegetables, a variety of vegetables, the nutrient density of those vegetables, the quality of the meat. Um, There are neighborhoods across our country and low income areas, the quality of the food and produce that they have in their particular stores are subpar that affects that particular population and it creates the disparities that we see across the spectrum with respect to addressing various states of of illness. Um, We have to focus back on adult education principles and looking at the fact that education in and of itself for our populations isn't a cookie cutter method. Everyone doesn't learn the same. Everyone doesn't comprehend the same. Everyone's literacy, the quality of everyone's education is not on the same level. We are a social culture structure driven by 
economy and you have your low middle income and you have your 1%. But what we see now is that those silos are starting to diminish. They're starting to disappear. There's almost no such thing as the middle working income class anymore. That class is now shifting and in diminishing and decreasing and becoming the low income yeah. um, because of where our dollars are being shifted with respect to administrative um, excess and technology. And again, I'm not bashing technology because now our children at elementary school are being given um, tablets as a requirement. What about that home where the parents want to protect their children from um, someone that may lure their child through the use of their tablet? But the school says we're all on technology. So we have to think about how families, how populations, how everyone, despite, irregardless of racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, socio-psychological, educational boundaries, how we're interfacing with, how they're interfacing with the healthcare sector. Mm -hmm. And we have to get nurses back to educating yeah. at the grassroots, yeah. our populations, in our schools even, um, there are certain schools that don't have budgets for nurses in the school anymore. They have um, other roles that they, titles that they name those individuals because they can't refer to them as actual licensed yeah, healthcare professionals right. um, because the dollars just aren't there. They're allocated to technology. Yeah, yeah. Without um, the education again. Without the education mm -hmm. again. But education as an investment into us spending time and connecting with our patients, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our colleagues, with our loved ones, with our friends. Um, it it makes sure that you know, you know, Brian, are you okay today? Um, I know you just completed a large presentation. It had to be extremely stressful. Are you hydrated? You know, just checking in with one another to make sure yeah. that everyone's okay, and then finding out. Am I able to share my resources, not just monetarily, but my intellectual capital? Um, I've gone to school. I've had the opportunity to attend a Big Ten university that I didn't find out was a Big Ten until after I graduated wow. because I come from a place. Gary, Indiana is next to Chicago. Yes. Um, I, I was actually on welfare wow. when I was in nursing school. Wow. The day I completed my nursing degree at, from IU. Mm -hmm. I think about two or three days later was the change in reform to the entire welfare system. Right. Um, and I remember experiencing receiving a paycheck as a nurse tech and how that went to the nurse, the registered nurse that actually passed state boards. And I actually failed state boards the first time around. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I've learned in my adulthood that I had learning disabilities as a child that my parents may not have known about because at that during that day and age um, we didn't know a lot about ADHD and other things and so there are people that aren't even aware that they have certain conditions because we've not utilized our case managers to 
um, avidly refer them to public health services. Part of my career stems from working TB control and HIV dual diagnosis with DeKalb County Board of Health and DeKalb County in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And with the refugee population in direct observed therapy and working side by side with CDC physicians that came to conduct our clinics on a week to week basis, we provided um, housing and paid rent and paid utility bills and identified resources to provide groceries for individuals placed on direct observed therapy. Because if you have active TB disease, you can't be out in the public, you know, spreading tuberculosis. Um, So. We had to identify resources. Nurses are case finders. Nurses are investigators. Nurses know how to find solutions when there appears to not be a solution. And there are other professions that are out there that do the exact same. So that's essentially what lifetime quality care consultants is. And then there's the consultant side that has a network of professionals that cover the gamut, coders, nurses, respiratory okay. therapists, occupational, physical, wow, nutrition therapists, speech wide. language pathologists, pathologists, physicians across the gamut with respect to specialty, GI, Amazing. S- nervous system, ID, you name it. Um, lifetime quality care consultants is about the business of not only improving the quality of individuals' lifetimes, but also improving the quality of the lifetime of organizations and business across the spectrum. Wow. I didn't realize how wide and and broad uh, your company is. And uh, you're hearing more in background noise. Again, these people are eating lunch because it's lunchtime. And I, I, I'm, I'm admiring as these people are, are going for <laughs> the lunch, you still held it together because I'm like, geez, <laughs> you were able to, to let it flow. It's and an expansive vision. It's a humongous vision. Yeah. It's a major undertaking. Um, but I also, as a nurse, experienced a near sentinel event um, that also was part of why I became a CDI specialist. Huh. Um, when I had my last child, who's about to turn 18 wow. in a few days, um, Lateran Muriel McDowell. Hey. Um, she's a senior this year. Um, I was working as an on-site utilization review nurse for Aetna at the time at a, a major university health system in Atlanta. And my doctors were there on site. Um, I was working, but I could also attend my regularly scheduled OBGYN visit. It was a high-risk pregnancy where I was put on bed rest three or four times because of hypertension. And um, my regular doctor, who I was very good friends with as well, um, went on vacation. A fellow colleague admitted me because she thought my blood pressure was higher than what it had been, which it really wasn't, but she took the precaution to admit me. And long story short, um, my child was not breathing at 45 minutes to an hour. I was rushed to the OR for um, to save my life. Um, we had previously planned with my regular doctor the discussion surrounding a crash C-section if need be, but there was no communication, um, no focus on the documentation in the hard copy record at that time. Um, signs and symptoms of four late D-cells were never called to a physician. Um, which ultimately led to uterine rupture. That's a nightmare for someone in their early 30s to be forced into early menopause because of having to undergo what took place. As tragic as that occurring was, to wake up as a critical care nurse and find yourself on the ventilator is by far, in my opinion, I'm grateful for life. I'm happy to be alive. I thank you know, God every day for making it through that event. But as a critical care nurse, when you're on the vent and you wake up, you're kind of angry. 
<laughs> why am I on the vent? What happened? What went wrong? And you know what you know as a nurse from anatomy, physiology, from all the courses you took with respect to nursing. OBGYN wasn't my background, but I surmised in my mind what took place. Um, and I had my other two children natural, so I knew what was taking place, what I was feeling, what I was experiencing as a patient wasn't normal. And I couldn't get the attention of staff to pay enough attention to my complaints to realize that they were urgent enough to call into the doctor and maybe reevaluate the situation and and take another course of action other than the trajectory that I was on, which was kind of not even on their radar at that time, which, you know, ultimately culminated into what took place with the rupture, um, which demonstrates the disconnect um, in the humanistic aspect of health and healing. Uh, when you're not tuned in to your patient and when the staff aren't tuned in to one another um, to have each other's back. Um, so with that being discharged with C-section papers, which is not what happened, I didn't even want to look at the final coding summary because I'm sure that it did not reflect or capture what actually took place. But it did, it did set a fire within me. It fueled the passion that I have with respect to CDI. And now we're looking at um, mortality for women in the country that we live in um, that just go in for normal vaginal delivery. We have the worst mortality statistics like a third world country be- for just a woman going to a hospital having a baby here in the 21st going into the 22nd century. And as an American, as a nurse, as a woman, as a mother, that insults me. It 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 um it breaks my heart and so that's what fuels and along with my three children um my oldest daughter ariel my son elijah then the youngest one lateran lateran even after that 45 to an hour episode of no spontaneous respiratory effort having to be moved to NICU, placed on a vent herself has no residual neurological deficits at all and i'm grateful for that but we have a clarion call where we are today in our healthcare system, in our healthcare industry, no matter what our role, to pay attention to exactly what's going on and not let the attention that we're paying be more to technology than it is to human beings. So you're on a you're on a, a big mission. Big mission. Bigger I think bigger than uh, than clinical documentation improvement. You I think know, I think it, it leverages you leverage C D I and your passion within your experience. It's about uh, change. To to make a change, especially absolutely. when you look at healthcare as, as a whole as, uh, in the United States. Wonderful. This vision may actually out outlive myself. Yeah. I hope to accomplish and achieve and get into place so many different facets of lifetime quality care consultants within the next five to 10 to 15 years. Um, that was my question. S- That's my question next is I uh, hope and pray to see the fulfillment of it all. Yeah. I really do. So the, so you're, you're talking about adding more consultants. So let me, let me jump into our last two questions. Sure. All right. And then, and again, thank you for being our first guest. Thank you for having me. I'm <laughs> first so glad live guest. we finally connected. First live guest. It's it's actually better. I actually really? like live guests. I could actually see you hosting your own phone. television show. I, I really could. I don't know if I'm on the. Uh, I'm ready for for video yet. I think you could I replace. To, I got to lose some, some of the guys I that lose I some, see on TV right I gotta lose now. some weight first before. Well, you're running marathons, yeah. so, so you're on the track for. I'm it. almost there. So hopefully by next year I can be. <laughs> 
camera ready. Look forward to seeing Brian <laughs> live on television, camera everyone. Ready. All right. So, yeah, I know I was saying, like, it, it's actually easier because I can see when you're going to stop. Yeah. I see when you're going to go. You see when I'm going to stop. Let's use versus, the technology. Yes. And it's the human touch. <laughs> Absolutely. There, you see how we roll that in together? Jeez. <laughs> anyway, so my last two questions, I think you touched a little bit on um, the future. So what does the future hold for Leontinet and your company, Lifetime Quality Care? The future for Leontinet and Lifetime Quality Care Consultants, um, short term involves a great deal of networking. Um, for instance, this trip alone, um, myself coming from Atlanta, yeah, straight here to Gainesville, that. Florida, um, was a five-hour drive, um, and I noticed the t- short intervals between Atlanta, Gainesville, Atlanta, St. Simons Island, Atlanta, Savannah. It's a short-term drive, but it feels like forever. Yeah. But I needed that time to kind of decompress and think through some things, and um, so I'll be networking a, on a grand scale. Um, there's a Becker's IT leadership meeting coming up in November. Mm. Um, in the Midwest, in Chicago, actually. Wow. So I'm looking into actually heading there and connecting and networking and meeting people face-to-face, um, getting to know everyone that I can get to know and work with and collaborate collaborate with across the spectrum. Um, I have... We, we talked about a podcast right before we got started. Yeah. So Lifetime will more than likely launch a podcast yeah. well, where I'll use utilize the podcast as an opportunity to interview Absolutely. and meet a number of executives and leaders across the country that I intend on working with and collaborating with to build lifetime into the future. I mean, the, the, the stuff that you're, you're spitting out, I mean, it just, it just flows. And I, can, I could tell that the stuff that you talk about now, there's multiple directions multiple in directions. where you can take your discussions Absolutely. on your own. I mean, you could just take a microphone and just... Do your own. We are the richest country in the world. Um, In Atlanta alone, um, they recently received or invested 50 billion, I think, or 50 million or so. My numbers are kind of off with respect to um, addressing the homelessness issue. Um, In my opinion, and someone may say this is idealistic, that no one experiences homelessness in our country. There's no need. We have the resources children that are hungry that go to bed with less than what they would like to have to eat every night in our country we have more than enough there's no need these needs are out here um, with respect to just primary care visits there are public health offices in counties across the country where people are not filtering in through those public health offices to realize that they can be charged on a sliding scale basis based on their income or not charged at all we have to start adding and and routing the individuals and referring them to the appropriate levels of care where they exist so that the data can then reflect where our government should pool most of our resources and spend the money. Again, it's great to have the technology, but we have to get back into investing in human beings and connecting with human beings and bringing back dignity to the right to, to living the highest level quality of life alchemy I'm, I'm not necessarily a subscribed alchemist um, because I understand that that's a, a discipline and philosophy with respect to life but it's all inclusive with equal rights for everyone 
um, to have the highest level of quality of life possible that they thrive. Um, because even in nursing school, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're homeless, you're not at the top of that pyramid with respect to actualization. If you're hungry, um, if you and I are sitting here and we keep smelling the food that they're <laughs> they're enjoying for lunch, I think I smell and Italian we not food. Address I'm, you know. Our need for food, <laughs> we're not gonna. <laughs> our blood sugar is gonna drop. And I'm impressed how you're we're still talking with this smells. And we're we're not gonna be able to fully actualize the enjoyment of conveying and sharing this information across the hundreds of thousands of millions of listeners that will tune into this podcast. Um, so we have to look at um, the hierarchy of needs and versus wants and how we advance. It's great to move forward. It's great to advance in technology. It's great to do a number of things. But if we've left human dignity um, along the way, then we've, we've, we, we've taken a chunk out of our own existence um, because we're all connected in one way or the other, and that's what lifetime quality care is all about. And I, I like, and for those that are listening, I mean, her her approach of building her business is through networking. The fact it that is. you're you're hitting those conferences, the fact that you you came absolutely here uh, to to leverage a podcast that will I, I'm I'm most definitely going to spread it out. You know, your company and and all of this episode uh, out there. But yeah, that, that's how you do it. That's how you build your, your brand. This Absolutely. is how you build your company. And we're um, on Facebook. We're on Facebook as Lifetime yes. Quality Care Consultants. Mm-hmm. We're on LinkedIn at Lifetime underscore quality. Mm-hmm. And we're also on um, Instagram. Instagram. And we also have a website, Lifetime Quality Care Consultants. Do you use the Instagram stories? I do. You do? I'm going to start using the Instagram stories more. I think that's the that's the new wave of marketing. I'm going to go more live on Instagram. I'm yeah. going to go more live on Facebook. Podcast. I'm going to see what's out there with respect to, because even with respect to LinkedIn, technology is advancing with the various um, capabilities that LinkedIn offers mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changing almost every day. So I'm going to in, invest in and engage every platform possible and necessary like to that. get yeah. the message of lifetime yeah. quality care consultants out there. Lifetime quality care consultants will be sponsoring um, as a sponsor at various events. Nice. So you'll look around and you'll see the lifetime wow. logo wow. and we're going to be pushing products. Um, we have products that products. we're looking to start rolling out with respect to various um, sayings that are oh, okay. um, common within swag. CDI. Absolutely. Okay. We have a lifetime quality <laughs> care consultant swag um, that's coming to the forefront. Good. So we're going to brand and brand and network, that's but nice. we're going to, we're going to keep the main focus on of course, human dignity, respect, empathy, compassion, education um, within business to business and business to consumer because we want to improve the quality of all of our lives for a lifetime great well let's let's wrap this up because i know you know we're hungry we're smelling all of this food (laughs) people are chowing down it's about that i know um so last question what best words of advice could you give it to our audience before we go downstairs and eat hug hug someone um I can't say that enough. It's really, really kind of interesting to me. Someone recently, and I didn't even know the person. I think I just, we just exchanged names. And I, actually, it was at Wells Fargo Bank. 
and the guy's name was Anthony. And he wasn't a teller. He was at a desk because I had some business that I needed to take care of that was more um, involved than just going to the teller window. Mm. And Anthony right away connected with me as a human being, not a Wells Fargo customer. Um, His mother was a nurse like myself. And we began to talk about how his mother raised him. And he was very astute, very intelligent, um, but he was very compassionate and very empathetic. I was having a very bad day that day, a very bad day. I don't think anyone knew I was having as bad a day as I was having that particular day. Um, But he talked to me and said that he could tell that I was, this was before knowing that I was a nurse, that I was a compassionate person. He just he 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 related to me as a human being. Yeah, he picked up on your signals. He did. He conduct we conducted the Wells Fargo business I was there to take care of, but as we began to leave each other at the conclusion of my business, he reached out and I was going for the handshake. He reached out and hugged me. And I almost went into shock um because I hadn't had that connection with someone because I'd been focused on business of just going to the bank <laughs> going to the bank to you, take care you, of you money lost the and human bills. you lost the human touch the in human that transaction t- exactly and so when he reached out I'm offering my hand and he reaches around to hug me I, I almost I felt like I was going to pass out there for a moment um we can't live in a society like that um I saw a video and I actually shared it on Lifetime Quality Care Consultants Facebook page the other day of the um school personnel that disarmed a student that had a loaded weapon and I mean talk about a powerful moment Um, that teacher that administrator could have actually lost his life in that exchange but he was willing to risk his life for a moment of compassion and empathy exchange with that particular student and that student really needed that embrace you could tell and so we have to we have to we have to start identifying how to break down the walls that have been built that are illusions in our minds. I mean, you and I travel quite often in this industry. You know, the most annoying thing to me in traveling in this industry is the experience of um, the rat race for the gate (laughs) to catch a flight. We're getting on the same plane. (laughs) We're getting on the same plane. And sometimes I wish airlines would kind of eliminate their hierarchical structure of boarding so that everyone is treated the same and there's not subclasses and subgroups. But I understand what it's what it's there for. There are reward numbers and loyalty points and that sort of thing. Bonus miles. And you receive rank and file in that structure. Um, But again, just to connect with someone. Um, we're all getting on the same plane. We're all getting on the same plane. And we all want to reach, um, I want to say, somewhat of the same destination. Everyone's goals and aspirations and dreams aren't the same. I understand that. Um, however, um, when we turn down our nose at other people's life experiences, um, that's a disconnect. Um we could be in the same shoes as the homeless people that we see and pass on the street. Um, Lifetime Quality Care Consultants is more than just a business venture. It's more than just a name. 
Um, it's more than a brand. It's more than a swag. Um, it's it's so much more um, with the focus on bringing back the meaning to, to, to life and why, why we're here. Because we're all here for a reason. And hopefully that reason is to to serve one another. Well, there you have it. That is our episode with Leontin and J. Perry Houston. What did you think? Um, I'm thinking uh, just the fact that the quality of the episode in terms of how it turned out. Plus, also, I think what's what's nice about doing in-person interviews is the fact that I can see the person eye to eye. And uh, I was discussing with her earlier or afterwards that uh, when I do interviews over the phone, it's different because I do the tracks. I do the recordings on separate tracks. And sometimes it's very difficult to gauge when the person is going to stop and when I can begin. And all of it's done through editing. So because I am in front of her, uh, the editing, actually, I had to do no editing. And the recording that we just did is basically just what you get uh, into this episode. So anyways, all of the uh, show notes, again, are at medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast. Again, if you need me as a speaker, uh, you can reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, at medcodinggeeks. You can also go to at Podcast. All right, guys. So thank you guys very much. We'll check you out in the next episode. Thanks. Medicalcodinggeek.com.